Hello guys, welcome. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to us today. The Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair. And this week, with a real focus on Leagues 1 and 2, we had a reduced slate of fixtures, it's fair to say. No championship action last weekend. Three games in League 1, with another to come just hours after we record between Bolton and Burton, and 11 League 2 games. Now, George Ellick's with me. I'm Ali Maxwell. At the very least, George, I think we were served up what was a, a pretty entertaining weekend. Some great games, some lots of like anger and red cards, which seems to have been mm-hmm. an, a, an early theme of this season. Um, a lot of nice goals, but mostly a lot of terrible misses as well. It was it League 2 in the spotlight for the most part, and it didn't disappoint. Uh, no, it didn't. I mean, as you say, a lot of red cards, some quite, I don't know, it kind of felt like a, a weekend where the referees were quite keen to get their red cards out when I was watching it all back. Um, having been at a wedding on Saturday, I had to catch up and um, I was quite surprised to see the red shown for a few of them. Um, so, yeah, you say angry. I say maybe it was the refs who were angry. They felt jilted on this Saturday or maybe angry that most of their mates were getting a day off. But they've but they've been selected to, to referee. Um, but yeah, I mean, loads of interesting results. I thought, especially in League Two, uh, a couple of interesting performances in League One. Um, and we're going to get to it. But just you know, the Harrogate story is is one of is a. I think you can almost, you know, you're almost immune to it after they've been in the league for a season where you've got to step back and remember that this is Harrogate, and what they're doing is is absolutely incredible. More um, for on them that. To be, Exactly. More on that later. We will be doing a sort of state of the nation like we did for the championship last week. We're going to take a snapshot at League One and League Two. Just see where we are, see which teams have uh, surprised us, impressed us and which teams we feel are are letting us and maybe their fans down uh, through, what are we, five or six games, depending on uh, which club you are. But time for us to get cracking. Looking at the weekend action and starting in League One, George, I think we should start with Accrington Stanley, another team who's impressive feats both on and off the field have been so consistent over the last few years that I think maybe like what you're saying about Harrogate we've become a little desensitized to them they beat Shrewsbury Town 1-0 this weekend it was one of the most comfortable 1-0 wins that you'll see and they got 12 points from six games it's a hell of a start to the season for John Coleman and Aki yeah it is it absolutely is and and I think important for them that uh, John Mamongo got his um scoring uh, away for for them on loan from Burnley a player who I think they're they're excited to have and you know at the moment Dion Charles linked to moves away but Bishop and Mbongo seem to be the preferred two at the moment Charles I think must have been out yeah um, no away on international duty away on international duty of course but he played out on the right hand side last time he did play um, with those two playing up front so um, yeah a big win you know you say it's one of the most comfortable wins this seems to be a running thread where you stick the knife into Shrewsbury and I say, well, uh, I know, I think Saban made a couple of saves um, as he often does, which you know, we, we've seen teams where they basically offer completely nothing going forward. I think, again, Shrewsbury had a couple of chances, blocks them with a, another kind of acrobatic attempt that was palmed away, maybe a save that looked a bit better for the cameras than actually it was. But um, it was interesting noting, I was back on that, on the, this that hasn't taken into these weekend's games into account um, on the analysts and, uh, Shrewsbury have the lowest PPDA in the whole of League One, which means that they're the highest pressing side, which isn't something you'd necessarily associate with a team who look fairly abject um, and concede a lot of chances and don't create a great deal. Um, but for Accrington, you know, their start couldn't have been much better this season. Um, they started very well last season. Of course, about halfway through the campaign, they looked well set for a playoff challenge before falling away. Um, but as you say, it's, it's easy to forget just what an incredible job John Coleman's doing. And, and they look very, very well set. This performance and result and what we've seen so far this season suggests they're going to be another side who are going to, or this is going to be another season for them of being a a very good League One side. It's definitely not what I would have expected in terms of those pressing numbers for Shrewsbury. I've got the the who scored uh, League One shots against stats up as you're talking just to see how effective that has been as a tactic for them first and foremost out of possession and the answer is fairly in terms of the shots per game against they've actually got the fifth best record they're only conceding 10 shots per game which is impressive that is often the case for teams who press well from the front they don't tend to concede a lot of chances but the flip side of that is often when the defense does break down when teams do play through a high press and you don't have bodies at the back 
you do tend to give up pretty high quality chances. So maybe that's where they're falling on the wrong side of things at the moment. Too many breaches, I suppose, of this high press. But for me, the main issue, George, is, is that they're really struggling to generate high quality chances of their own. I remember watching some clips after their first few games of the season and I found it very difficult to understand what their attacking plan was, um, how they were really trying to go about creating chances. They've ended up with this quite imbalanced squad where they've got quite a lot of strikers, none of them particularly known for scoring goals, most of them not known for being able to create their own chances, which is pretty rare for a striker in League One. And then behind them look quite light in midfield and when it comes to people who can actually create chances. So there's definitely some concern around Shrews at the moment. So so let's just push on that slightly harder, George. Tom, who's on the NTT20 squad, said he'd be interested to hear our take on it. You picked Accrington to win on the betting show and you touched on Cotterell's quite rapidly deteriorating relationship with certainly the local uh, journalist, Lewis Cox, who I think is an excellent journo, but Cotterell's really got him in the crosshairs at the moment. Uh, the fans have not reacted well to that. They, they have not, they're certainly not backing their manager in this tete-a-tete. They are um, pretty unhappy with the way that he's treating um, both, well, well, how, how he's treating Lewis Cox, basically. And it, it's, um, it's, it's all been a bit ugly in the last week. Tom, Tom basically says, what's the way forward? From the, uh, for them and how can Cotterill get them winning games because so far they're scoring a goal every three games which is uh, pretty grim how concerned should we be George? Yeah I, I think pretty concerned um, as I say I think they've been they seem to be a side who don't give up you know, I quickly looked then when you're talking about giving up giving away high quality chances and before again this is before the weekend's games um, they'd only given up 2.4 goals against from open play which is the fourth best, was well, basically the best in the league because the best was Plymouth. Expected goals from open play. Expected goals yeah. from open play. Yeah, no decimals when goals. it comes to real goals. No, no, no. Um, so that doesn't really seem to be the case. It, it seems to me like they're, they are a side at the moment who are not creating very much at all due to both style and personnel um, and then are maybe getting the... the you know, aren't getting the rub of the green in terms of the other the opposition teams who are taking their chances at a rate you'd probably not expect them to do so. But even if that were to drop off and they were to start keeping more clean sheets, if you're not going to create chances and you're, you're not going to score goals, I mean, I'm looking at their part, their, their shot map now from um, Saturday's game and it's it's pretty ugly. You know, it's it's nine attempts, but they're all um, pretty much from range and that just completely played only two of their nine shots were inside the box and both of those were, were just inside the box so they are a side who don't seem to know how to create chances and they don't have a proven goal scorer in their ranks either so I mean Bowman would be the one who you would think has scored goals before and, and could do so again but he's never done it at this level and he played for an extra side who created a lot of chances for him this is a totally different both in terms of, of of the level of defender you're playing against and in terms of the team you're playing for, this is a totally different test to him and, some, and one that so far he hasn't really shown himself to be that capable in, even though he hasn't played a great deal of, of minutes. So, um, yeah, it, it's impossible to be anything but concerned. I think at this stage they look like a, probably the poorest team in, in the league so far, um, you'd have to say. Well, they're playing crew next weekend. That's, that's already a pretty big game. It's... I would say just quite clear from their business over the summer that they're struggling to complete to compete uh, budget-wise at this level. Now that's not a criticism. We would rather teams didn't overstretch and overspend, and we know that there are a lot of big hitters, um, teams with, with significantly larger budgets in League One than an average season, and that seems like they they either can't or won't won't try and compete with that. I know the fans were disappointed they didn't get more bodies in. They did sell Norburn to to Peterborough, and maybe they would have looked they would have wanted to see more visible investment in the playing squad from that. But I think. When you look, the, the problem is they also don't compare very well to the teams that also don't have high budgets. So if you compare them and their recruitment and how they've built their squad to Wimbledon, for example, or Morecambe are a good example. Accrington, who they lost to this weekend, who do not have a big budget for the level. Even Crew, as, as difficult as they're finding things at the moment, I don't think they stack up very well on that front either. So uh, it's not been a good period for Shrewsbury. Uh, obviously, last season, the back end of last season, after Cottrell came in and during his struggle with COVID-19, they had this wonderful atmosphere. They had a real fighting spirit going through the club and that seems to have evaporated pretty quickly. Now, that, that can come back. They just need a few results. But performances, for me, have been pretty concerning and it's tough to, it's tough to see too many wins on the horizon. Now, Accrington... Let's be positive here because, I mean, I really enjoyed this performance. Uh, Ross Sykes particularly has really caught my eye. 
Um, I did a bit of a sort of B-Tech Gary Neville impression uh, on Quest on Saturday night, flagging up that Ross Sykes was basically the key man in Accrington's goal, um, doing a bit of Sheffield United under Wilder-esque overlapping from the right centre-back position in, in their 3-5-2. And it's something that he does a lot. He's, he's clearly got licence uh, to roam forward. And although he's so tall and gangly, isn't he? He doesn't necessarily mm. look like the, the tightest technician. He's actually really, really effective when he bombs on. Uh, we've always spoke about how that tactic specifically, teams don't really know who's meant to track a centre-back that suddenly gallops 40 yards up the pitch into the final third. Um, and that's what Shrewsbury struggled with. It was a great delivery. Doesn't actually get the assist because Bishop missed the initial chance and Mumbongo tapped it in. So Sykes has been excellent. I know he's on a lot of radars because he's so young, he's so tall, composed on the ball, and he's clearly got this ability to impact games going forward as well. But the, the pass through from David Morgan was what really caught my eye. Morgan's not a player that I know a huge amount about. He's 27-year-old who Accrington bought last season from Southport, which is, of course, the team that both John Coleman and Jimmy Bell played for um, mm. at length in their playing career. Obviously got good good ties there, as we know that they do with many non-league clubs, particularly in the in the northwest. Uh, and there he is playing defence, splitting through balls from the base of midfield. Um, looks like another savvy pickup. And yeah, I mean, Accrington in general, George, strong team, strong mentality, a manager that we think is excellent. Last season, they had a good first half of the season. They fell away slightly. The question has come in from Ali, not me, a different Ali, who's on the <laughs> NCT20 squad. Do you think Accrington could get promoted this season? They were going really well last season until quite late. I think our game, Sunderland's game, against them next weekend could be a big one. We've seen enough from Accrington, Accrington? Accrington uh, in their first six games, four of which they've won, uh, to suggest they could uh, upset the apple cart at the top of the table. I mean, of course they could, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they will. I, I mean, if I was to, to predict where I think they're going to finish, it would probably be somewhere between 8th and 12th. But um, there's no denying that they are. They have the capabilities and they have a manager who's who's good enough for getting these teams to overperform. You know, I spent the whole of last season saying people don't seem to think that Morecambe can continue this this level of performance and, that, and they are kidding themselves. And I think Accrington kind of fall into that bracket where... Yes, they have no right to be there compared to the teams they're, they're competing against. But at the same time, when you've got a group of players, it doesn't matter if they're the 23rd or 22nd highest earning squad in the league. If they're operating at a level that puts them in the top three or four, then you have to take them very, very seriously. So, no, I don't think they will finish there. But can they finish there? Could they win the league? Yeah, absolutely. Seem to have added a, a bit of depth as well. You made the point that they had a great transfer window, mostly due to those who they kept, particularly Bishop and, and Charles, who we know are two goal scorers at this level. Now, that's a, a pretty rare commodity. So um, that was positive. They've added Mumbongo, who looks lively, albeit he's missed some pretty presentable opportunities in his first few games. Uh, Ethan Hamilton came in late, played like 35, 40 games for Posh last season in promotion from this division. Um, so some really good quality squad building. And that's the sort of thing that Shrews will look at with some envy, I think it's fair to say. Wimbledon 3, Oxford 1, George. Wimbledon fans seeing their club win at their new stadium in the flesh for the first time. It was a magnificent advert for League One, this. Uh, I'm sure not as enjoyable for an Oxford fan in terms of the result. But from a neutral's point of view, it was the main game on Quest. We had it on the big screen. It was a brilliant attacking game, excellent to watch, um, unsurprisingly given how these two teams look to play. And it was high quality as well, some really good attacking play. Um, Jack, who was there, Fulham fan, as a neutral said, probably could have ended about five all. Um, he said, he said Wimbledon, I found such an exciting team to watch, but Oxford were really good value and could have scored more as well. So I guess the, the big, cons well, the big, um, the big regret, George, is uh, you need to defend set pieces. That's that's pretty crucial, you know. They are a, a very important part of football, and at times um, they can be the the reason that you know even games get won or lost. Yeah, I mean that that is absolutely it, and it's what the Oxford fans will take away from this. Well, two things. I mean, the, the, that's the, the story here is Wimbledon, so let's quickly touch on Oxford, then we can focus on 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 the winning team. Um, the the defensive. The defence from set pieces this season has been has been very poor for Oxford. It hasn't just been this game. Um, and then when you're seeing Ryan Williams put on Will Nightingale for the first goal, um, you know it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work out that that is that should not be happening. And how that's been allowed to happen, I, I do not understand. You know, you've got a diminutive winger, even though he does like the physical side of the game, coming up against the, the tallest player on the pitch, who gets the assist for the first and then scores the second. And you know, the assist for the first was a goal-bound header that was just touched in on the line by his by his teammate, rightly so, to ensure it goes in. But, um, 
you know, the, the damage had already been done with that first header. And then the second was with the substitutions that, um, you know, we never know as fans what the full reasons are for substitutions. But Mark Sykes looked like one of the liveliest players on the pitch and was brought off with 20 minutes to go. Um, Alex Gorin replaced by Herbie Kane. You know, Herbie Kane, who, um, whilst his passing ability is very, very good, you know, you're not going to get the... Um, the defensive side of things you know he, he might be a bit of a physical unit but Gorin is is there to do a job and well, to break I'm down play from a fan's point of view because Carl Robinson I think he said after the game something along the lines of I will always go for the win and sometimes that puts you at risk of uh, being on the wrong side of it but we think in general it's the right approach I mean I completely see what you're saying I thought the substitutions were pretty questionable as well um but, as, but as a in, general in my- in my opinion, the most the most important player to have on the pitch if you're going to try and throw men forwards is the holding midfielder, basically. Because if you're going to have two attacking fullbacks, you're going to have two attacking basically two attacking eights either side of the holding holding player, and then three up front. You you need the person who's going to be sitting in front of the defender, either either dropping in between the two to make it a three, or sitting in front just to side someone down. Or another attack-minded midfielder. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> just not. You know, you look at that third goal, and they just—it's so easy. I mean, it, it's brilliant play from Assal on the left, who, who came off the bench. Um, yeah, Wimbledon but, very much getting the result that I think some of their recent performances have deserved, and probably in terms of balance of play, this was one of the games where they they didn't necessarily obviously deserve the win based on the balance but then they've been on the other side of that coin quite a lot over the last few weeks as well yeah absolutely um and, and i think you could argue that they maybe did i mean it was i think i think the way you finish a game is more important um we saw some some good tactical flexibility from mark robinson here where it wasn't necessarily the same system we've been used to seeing um you know an incredibly fluid three of, of Rodoni, um mabude and, and mccormick there kind of all floating in that final third of the pitch with Palmer, the whole, the, um, the target man until Presley came on and then Asal joining that, those, those fluid kind of attacking players in behind. Um, yeah. And, you know, the Carl Robinson alluded to the atmosphere at the end of the game saying, you know, the, the, the roof was lifted off the stadium and, you know, given the reception that he got from the AFC Wimbledon fans, um, I thought it was pretty notable that he, you know, he, he doffed his cap to them and said that that probably had quite a big impact in the game as, as well. So, now, this is Wimbledon side who um, are, are, are far, far better than than any Wimbledon side we've seen at this level for the last few seasons. They are not going to be, I don't think, too concerned about relegation this season, which has always been the, the first hurdle and then the last hurdle for, for Wimbledon sides to, to jump. Um, I guess League their one. ceiling depends on how regularly they can finish game strong, like you said, which they haven't necessarily done in the last few weeks, but they did this weekend because they are almost always going to be in games based on what we can see so far. And and every goal and every assist for all three goals, all coming from academy graduates as well. Obviously, Rodoni, Asal, Nightingale, Hartigan, all of them involved. Rodoni with a very, very tidy finish for the third goal that, that ended it. Um, joined Wimbledon aged 11, um, started playing, what, 18 months ago. He's now played 55 league games. He's only 20, 21. Um, and he seems to have that sort of very valuable, pretty rare skill of playing you know, goal scoring output from an attacking midfield position. I don't think he's the most creative passer. He doesn't set up a, a lot of chances or goals, um, but he's mobile and he's clearly a very, very clever player. And he's got this knack for scoring goals, which is, um, yeah, which is definitely, definitely very, very valuable. Uh, I know that he is a Chelsea fan who always looked up to Frank Lampard is a quote I saw <laughs> in an interview he gave. So that's nice to see that watching all those YouTube clips um, does translate into goals at League One level. Uh, the third and final game to cover in League One was a one-all draw between Cheltenham and MK Dons, where MK Dons scored a late-ish equaliser, but was certainly the, the stronger side, the, the, the side that created more chances throughout the game, dominated the ball, um, dominated territory. Uh, there's a bit of, of a feeling amongst the Dons fan base that this is like, oh, this is our characteristic. You know, we have loads of possession and we don't finish our chances. And I think that's... I can understand why you why it's helpful to to kind of sum up your team's personality trait, whatever it might be. I think it's too early to suggest that's what MK Dons will be under Liam Manning. I mean, there's easy extenuating circumstances here of Parrot and Issa and Waters all being out here. Um, and they created some great chances, which were either missed or, or Flinders made some good saves. So um, some poor finishing from MK Dons, letting them down. Plenty of positives, I think, to take from their first 
five or six league games though um, under Liam Manning and, and for, for Cheltenham I guess they'll be happy to have picked up a point there's two one all draws in a row after uh, drawing with Burton of course on Sky last weekend but the most exciting thing is when you sign talented young attacker Kyle Joseph uh, on loan from Swansea having been with Wigan of course last season where he scored five in fairly limited minutes in League One for Wigan um, and, and scoring on his debut for Cheltenham I really believe strongly with all due respect to the strikers that Cheltenham had already, that this was a necessary transfer for them to make. And so for him to start so well, um, I think he gives them more quality up front, uh, a very mobile centre forward. And we think anyway, based on the evidence we've seen, a goal scorer's instinct that we know works at League One level and potentially higher up. So good move for him. Um, I think a good place for him to land in terms of where Swansea would want him to develop uh, and a a great goal on debut as well. That one was 1-1. Quick, quick one for those who like their nerdy stat stuff like me. Mm-hmm. Um, passes in that game. Cheltenham. Yep. I love them. Attempted 258 passes. Yeah. The three MK Don centre-backs, O'Hora, Darling and Lewington, 351. Let them have it. That's what I say. <laughs> I don't want... So 100 more passes between three players on the yeah. MK Don side. It's interesting because this is the first game and Game State plays a big part because they were behind after 15 minutes, sure. But... I don't think we've necessarily seen what the, the style compared to the Russell Martin style was going to be like under Liam Sweeting. And this is the first time that they've properly taken a game and just had all of the ball and kept it in, not in particularly deep areas either. They've played a fairly high line, uh, those centre-backs getting into the opposition half quite a lot. Um, but that is, you know, those those are numbers that Russ would be proud of. He'd have come out after the game and absolutely lauded his team for their performance despite the result. Well, Tom, uh, watch this one. He's on the NTT20 squad, easy for you to say. He's a Morecambe fan, so he watched this one as a, as a neutral, unbiased observer. Uh, and he said, Cheltenham came out the traps brightly. Joseph finished well. But from then on, Twine was finding pockets of space between the lines, playing lovely passes to um, and played a lovely ball beyond wing-backs and centre-backs. Harvey, the left wing-back, involved lots, really lively. It's great being a wing-back in his MK Don side, isn't it? Um, on another day, he would have got one or two assists. Um, and he just said, MK, I think we'll get better with forwards and Cheltenham look fine for League One. Um, so we'll see how they go in the next few weeks. State of play question on League One in general. Um, it's very tough to come to any strong conclusions when currently you've got Sunderland and Accrington on 12 points, Sunderland having played a game fewer. You've then got six teams on 10 points, Sheffield Wednesday, Wigan, Portsmouth, Wickham, Oxford and Burton. The three further on nine, Wimbledon, MK Dons and Rotherham with Cambridge, Plymouth and Bolton on eight points. 14 teams, George, separated by four points. It's so early in the season. Do you have any sort of strong notes or thoughts on what we're seeing at the top of League One at the moment in terms of the clubs that are currently competing and who you expect to be robust enough to continue to stay up there? I think there's no surprise by the teams who are good. Um, I think there are two teams in Lincoln and Ipswich who are surprisingly poor at this stage, but it wouldn't be a massive surprise to see them improve. I think the interesting thing is that there are other teams who look good, if that makes sense. You know, there are, we've, we've mentioned Accrington, Wickham, a team that other people had probably higher hopes for than we did, who look very good. Burton, I think, are probably the team I would um, upgrade the most since our, our 1-24s as well. So, I mean, we, we thought <clears throat> when we first uh, did, you know, when we were first talking about our 1-24s, we said this was the hardest league because there were, what, six or seven teams to choose from. It now feels like they're about 10 or 11 who could easily win the league and it wouldn't be a massive surprise um so it's it's even tougher even more competitive uh, and even better than than i think we anticipated before the season started and following on from that ollie asked about whether this is the strongest third tier that we've ever seen in terms of depth i mean for us the the reference point the framing is always quite helpful we've been doing the pod now for what five or six seasons um ollie makes a point that uh, his side i think it was, who does Ollie support? Charlton, that's right. We're mediocre, he says, for three quarters of last season, but we only missed the playoffs on goal difference. But I can't mm. imagine we wouldn't, we'd finish any higher than 14th if we played at the same level this time around. You, you can see what he's saying, and you touched on it there. Not only teams that we expected to be strong starting well, but a whole host of, of others putting themselves in the conversation as well. Does this feel like the strongest third tier that we've seen? Yeah, and, and I, I think last season was very weak as well. You mentioned there about Charlton being mediocre for three quarters. Well, I mean, Oxford, who I support, um, were were bad for 
<laughs> at least a quarter and still got into the playoffs. So yeah, I, I do think this season uh, definitely feels better. I think I'd need probably more time to comb through the last 20 years of of, of seasons if I was going to say um, it definitely was. But, but it's interesting I should mention, that last season, I've, like Blackpool and Oxford came from from late, right? Came late, arrived yeah. late after poor starts. But if we subscribe to the theory that this is much stronger, right, then Ipswich fans, dare I say it, Lincoln City fans who are on four points after five, Charlton as well, who've had a poor start, four points after five, they'll be looking at last season and saying, well, it's fine, Blackpool and Oxford did it, you know. But that is, we sh- you probably shouldn't look at that as your barometer because of the strength of the league and the fact that those were two, you know, unbelievable runs over a course of like 35 games. Yeah, Agreed, but at the same time, as the league is stronger, there'll be more competitive balance and therefore maybe be a lower scoring in terms of points at the top end. I mean, the Ipswich are now seven points off third. Um, I mean, they're also seven points off eighth, but that seven-point gap can be made up you know, in, in a matter of games. So it's too early now to rule anybody out, I think, of anything. Um, you know, <laughs> I the, don't the think Shrewsbury will get promoted. I'm ruling that out. You're ruling it out? Yep. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you what your price is after this. Yeah, and I'm at one pound and a million to one. I, mean, I know how uh, your brain works, and 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 I respect and I love it. So you're like, well, obviously the probability isn't infinity to one, so there's a chance that it will happen. I get that. Correct. I, I think in those terms mostly as well. But also in order to have a bit of fun and not be really boring on this part, it's quite nice every now and again <laughs> to not think in probability terms and just have an have a stance, have an opinion. I'm looking forward to the, the that should be in the um, in the Shropshire was it the Shropshire Express and Scott and Star yeah is that the, is that the one I think just the Star Ali but Maxwell. maybe the Express and Star Ali Maxwell rules out Shrew's title bid yeah I think the fans Headline. will d- be delighted to have seen that because I think they're feeling <laughs> the same way but what about at the at the bottom we, we've touched on yeah it is it is just the Shropshire it's very sorry to the uh, to the Express for I mean for Lewis Cox I've already got it. the mention for his. Um, I know it's for being big, set big, upon big, by um, by Steve Cotterell. He's doing yeah. a smashing job, and and the Shropshire Star getting the correct amount of exposure on this podcast off the back of it. Um, at the bottom, the good news is I'm on the Shropshire Star now, and classic Abitha return date confirmed is the yes, latest news. So that's good. Please, 17 minutes ago. Um, so Western Park, Saturday, July the 16th next year. Get your tickets. Classic Abitha. Love that. Love that. Uh, what about at the very bottom? I mean. You won't rule anyone out of anything at this stage, but shall we just talk about some of the other teams that aren't named Shrews who we've already discussed? Crew and Doncaster particularly, I'd say, George, not just down there with one point each at the very bottom of the table, but also not playing very well. Um, not not necessarily uh, the same sort of performance levels. We've spoken th- about spells that Crew have had in games where they've looked really good. Doncaster have been a, a real disappointment. Who else are you looking at and thinking... I'm going to need to see a lot more from you. I mean, there's a few. I mean, th- those two, I think, it, their attacking output is is really poor. You know, you mentioned there that we've sometimes looked at Crew and said, yeah, they played okay. I mean, that is certainly in a defensive way. They've looked like a team who, who are fairly hard to break down rather than one who are going to create much. They, they don't create much at all. And, and Donny's exactly the same. They look very, very poor. You've, you've got to say that Charlton have looked... Um, Fairly abject so far. I, I think hopefully Harry Arter in the centre midfield will bring something that they needed a bit of control, um, a two-footedness that I know is very popular in, in, in your head. Um, and then Gillingham were the one other side where they won one game this season of, of five. That was against um, actually who was it? I mean they lost obviously to Shrewsbury the other day in Shrewsbury's first win. It was against Morecambe at home, which they won two-one. Um, but there again, their performance level has been. At best, a six, I think, uh, and and sometimes worse. I know they've had issues with their with injuries, um, but yeah, they would be another one who, at the moment, I'm pretty concerned about. Let's move on to League Two then, because but I should quickly say because there's been some accusations about an anti Sheffield Wednesday bias, and obviously, you know, we we don't entertain any any accusations of bias uh, at all unless they are from Swindon Town fans, in which case there's probably some accuracy there. But this season, I don't think they could accuse us of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I should have said, because I forgot that we didn't have Wednesday particularly highly in our 1-24s either. So in that list of teams who, um, you know, we have to upgrade, Wednesday is certainly there. Although there are, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily buying into um, them being one of the title favourites in my mind on the back of a short run of results. Okay, okay. 
Now let's move on to League Two. Yes. An entertaining day of action for sure. And we've got new leaders at the top of it because Forest Green Rovers of hot start fame, four wins out of the first four fame, have been supplanted on goal difference by Harrogate Town, who went to Mansfield and left 3-1 winners. George, there was a fairly entertaining double red card for Mansfield in this game. Harrogate were already leading 2-1 at that point, we should say. And we just continued to be... I mean, charmed sounds condescending, but I have been very charmed by Harrogate since their first game in the EFL at the start of last season. And now I'm going from charmed to getting towards being quite convinced, quite convinced. I've always flagged up that despite my love of their style of play, my appreciation, admiration, if you will, for how they've built a squad, which I think is really impressive, gives them loads of options, um, all of which suit their style of play. Uh, that I was concerned that last season they had this inferiority complex where they lost basically to every team they ever came up against who were in the top seven uh, and that they really struggled to keep clean sheets or even keep teams at, at just one goal. Um, and that's what I've been really trying to remind myself when I've, when I've been trying not to get carried away. Had they beaten anyone that I considered to be really impressive yet? No. Uh, I obviously rate Mansfield a little bit higher than you, so I had a close eye on this one. And they were pretty good for it. Now, obviously, with the red card, you don't necessarily know what will happen. And Mansfield did have some chances in this game. So I'm not saying I think both of those uh, issues are out the window yet. But it's hard not to be pretty excited about this Harrogate Town side. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I have to be really excited. You know, it's been an incredible start. It couldn't really have gone any better. Um, this as you say, this performance and result against Mansfield for, for 72 minutes until the red card was their biggest test. And they went 1-0 down in that after three minutes and they reacted in a way that was incredibly impressive. You know, that was feasibly the first time they've been behind in the league this season, I think. Um, against Exeter, they yeah they took the lead. So yeah, it was. And they reacted in, in, in the best possible way. Armstrong looking like such a shrewd acquisition, uh, his fourth goal in five games so far. Um and just generally, all game, you know, all the, the third goal is a brilliant bit of play down the right from Patterson, flick on from Armstrong, from Muldoon to finish at the back post. Two players that we highlighted on Sky last week combining for the goal. Um, and then George Thompson down the right looking really, really impressive. Uh, Diamond started his first game back and was the one fouled for the first of two red cards. Car- carried um, it about 80 metres. It was brilliant. Yeah. Loved that. They're just, you know, they're, they're playing with a total lack of, of fear you know it's what we came to expect from them last season as well um but they just that's i mean you have to remember that they, they made such an impressive start last season and i was really excited by them and then almost inexplicably it just went south so quickly um and they dropped down the table uh, we always i mean i always think you know with man certain managers you you've got to follow patterns and i don't know uh, enough about Simon Weaver yet at this level to know if he is going to be a manager who goes on these big streaks. But certainly at this stage, it looks fairly sustainable. Um, they look like a class act. It was fun in this game that after five minutes, it was 1-1. They had traded set-piece goals. One of them scored by Reese Oates for Mansfield and one of them scored by Luke Armstrong for Harrogate. Of course, those two combined so well to help fire Hartlepool United to promotion uh, from the National League and then left in the summer, which was tough for Hartlepool and their fans to take. Dave Challoner actually referenced after their 1-0 defeat to Tranmere, which we'll get to, that what they were lacking was an Oates and Armstrong. Or Oates or Armstrong. So it was a it was a kind of a funny day for those two, um, for what they've left behind and, and for their new clubs. But I wanted to flag up Jack Muldoon as well because Armstrong's been an excellent signing. That is very, very clear. But Muldoon was their top goalscorer last season. He's been on the journey with Harrogate for a long time. His brother, I think it's his brother, someone called Muldoon on Twitter, um, tweeted over the weekend, at 18, Jack Muldoon was told he wasn't good enough for Bottisford Town, uh, who are currently in the ninth tier of English football. And at 24, he was still a full-time plasterer. A ton of graft, a bit of luck, and plenty of talent made it happen. Some guy. And I think even the way he's responded this season to Harrogate going and signing Armstrong and Orsi, who had scored a lot of goals in the National League last season, is really impressive. And it just shows this bloke who's clearly constantly been told you're going to get replaced or you're not good enough 
um, and continuing to prove people wrong. And I love stories like that. And, and that is a big part of the Harrogate story because although I think their recruitment's been impressive over the last 18 months in terms of getting to a position where they can bring off uh, Diamond and they can bring off Simon Power, that they've got Patterson, who they've added, and Armstrong, etc., is that they have got a, co a core of players, the likes of Falkingham and Muldoon and others, who have been there over the last few years. And they're the ones that kind of set the tone, I think, um, when others come in, uh, show them the way, the Harrogate way, if you will. Uh, it's very, very, very exciting. From a Mansfield point of view, it's just so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, Sam, Mansfield fan on the squad saying, how do we stop conceding goals? At the moment, we need to score three to win any game. It, it does feel like that, doesn't it? And Clough has been so openly critical of his defenders so far. It just adds to the feeling that we've, that's been the case for the last three or four years, that because they have such lofty ambitions, Mansfield, we expect so much from them. Something always feels not quite right. Something always seems to be lacking. And it hasn't always been defensively. Sometimes it's been scoring goals. Sometimes it's been character. Sometimes it's been bad tactics or whatever it might be. Now, at the moment, it's conceding goals. And, I, I you know, in answering Sam's question, I was trying to work out how concerned they should be. And I think it might be just a bit of being on the wrong side of a bit of variance. I'm, I'm going to say it's slightly overplayed. I know the defending's been really, really poor, but I don't think it's going to continue like this forever. If you look at um, shots per game, they've actually conceded the third fewest shots per game so far in League Two. Now, it doesn't take into account the quality of the shot, and they've given up some high-quality chances. That's reflected in the XG against from open play, where they're sort of mid-table, but not horrendous, not as bad as you would think based on the way that it's being covered and the way it's being talked about by Clough. And the way it's being talked about, I think, is crucial for what happens next for me. I'm not worried about this being Mansfield for the rest of the season, conceding two goals a game. But they, I think they need calm leadership. I think they need that to be the message from the top. Like, don't worry, we'll keep doing our thing. We've got some new players, things will improve. Instead, there's, there's just a lot of anger, quite a lot of criticism flying around. And that kind of concerns me from a man management style. So... Look, I think they need calm leadership and time for this to be sorted out. And I don't think it would take too much for, for things to start to turn. But it's kind of on a knife edge at the moment. I find it interesting. I find it interesting. George, do you want to talk about Mansfield or do you want to move on to Oldham Nil Barrow 3? Let's talk about Oldham Nil Barrow 3. I think you, you've said everything there is that needs to be said about Mansfield there. Thank in, you. In an extremely impressive way. And I don't <laughs> think I could come anywhere near it. So... Yeah. <laughs> onto um onto Oldham Barrow and I, I don't think there's much that we can say about Oldham that hasn't already been said to be honest um so it's I mean it's completely abject uh it's very very poor they seem to be a, a the, we, we always say it there's always one or two sides in league two where off-field issues just turn them into a team who who cannot function on the pitch and frankly it's it's felt like moments uh, in the last couple of seasons of entertainment on the pitch have just put a pin in the issues off field. And as soon as things have unraveled, you know, last season when their games were incredibly entertaining and they had Conor McElhaney smacking them in from 25 yards every weekend, um, things were a bit happier and they were far enough from the relegation zone for it not to be a concern. Now with their EFL status quite clearly under massive threat, um, that we're seeing protests. They've never been relegated from the EFL. Yeah, I mean that we're seeing protests every week. We're seeing poor performances. You know, we're seeing Keith Curl saying after the game, "You know, I'm not a politician," and you have to feel fairly sorry for him because it must be pretty difficult uh, circumstances to be working under. Um, so I, I feel very, very sorry for their fans. I hope there's a way to get this sorted fairly soon. But from the quotes that we, you know, the, the very rare snippets we get from the owner. He doesn't seem to have any intention whatsoever to sell. So um, I'm worried that this may rumble on and it's up to Keith Curl to find a way to improve things on the pitch to maybe settle the atmosphere down a bit. We've got um, quite a good idea by now, because he's managed so many different teams in League Two, of what a good Keith Curl team looks like and maybe particularly what a good Keith Curl squad looks like. And I don't see that here. I don't. See, I know he's got... No, nor do I. I know he's got his Sheehan and I know he's got his Nicky Adams and previously they have... You know, that combination has been a, a League Two cheat code, but it, it's not that now. It's not that, and it's really concerning. And if anyone who doesn't follow Oldham closely is wondering why they they keep going on the pitch and disrupting games and trying to, to, um, trying to raise awareness, um, you know, uh, 
they got relegated from League One pretty quickly after this ownership took charge. Three bottom half finishes in League Two since. Eight different managers. We're talking about a period of about, what, probably less than four years, about four years. There's also been the late payment of salaries, the threat of administration, which which has been avoided at this point. Um, and yeah, as George said, the, the fans' statement is that they fear for the next phase of the football club. They think it's likely to be administration and relegation from the EFL for the first time in their history. And all they want to see is a plan of action. Um, and that has not been demonstrated. Communication has been entirely insufficient. Uh, and what they're saying is, if you can't demonstrate a sufficient plan of action, please put the football club up for sale with immediate effect so that we can try uh, and, and sort out the mess. Um, but it's all doom and gloom. From a Barrow perspective, you know, a 3-0 win that you know they scored... Uh, a dribbly long ranger from Banks, a brilliant piece of individual skill from Zanzala and a set-piece cross that went all the way in from Grayson. This, you know, it was, a, it was a good win for them, but they'll have tougher days this season. The exciting thing for them is Gotts and Stevens, who they who they got from Leeds on loan, both have played at this, and I think both at a higher level as well, both pretty highly rated, as most Leeds youngsters tend to be. Uh, I loved Mark Cooper's quote where he said, I just wanted players to come in who were already fit. And if you want fit players, you just go to Leeds United because you, you just <laughs> know that they're going to be fit. But it's not just about the fitness of these guys as well, but I really think they'll bring a, a quality to Barrow, which has got to be quite exciting. And, you know, we kind of mentioned aloud a few weeks ago that we hadn't realised that Barrow had such a competitive, quite a big budget for League Two level. And mm. these signings definitely sort of well, hammer that home, I guess. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I, I still harbour pretty high hopes for them. You know, they haven't had the best start to the season, but they're sitting in ninth. They've won two of their six games. They've drawn two of them as well. Um, and those two players coming straight into the starting lineup and making an impact here was really, really important. So, yes, they're going to have more difficult games than Oldham, but I, I think probably playing Oldham away in their first game after the transfer window is probably the best thing that could possibly happen because as a catalyst to a season could go, um, it could well be one. They've got Colchester at home next up, which I think they'll they'll hope to win. And then we'll find out more about them when they go away to Bradford, probably the one team, along with Forest Green, who we can be pretty convinced with that we know of their quality. Um, I know we don't talk about Jaws too much, but but that Bradford-Walsall game, you know, Bradford uh, will be disappointed to have only drawn that, but they would have been very, very good value for a win. They're, there's nothing about their performance there that makes me doubt their quality. They were, they were very, very good. Yes, they're playing against 10 men for the second half, but... And, and you'd expect them to do better. But a look at their, uh, I implore people to have a look at their shot map because they absolutely peppered um, Rushworth in the, in the Walsall goal, who did very, very well to keep them in it. And then a couple of poor misses. Um, Vernon with a, with a header that went wide, probably the worst of the lot. Um, so, Andy Cook forgot his uh, sharp knives. Yes, exactly. Um, he... No, that wasn't going to work. Uh, and then, and then Forest Green and they'll draw with, with Exeter again, where Forest Green were more likely to sto- to score uh, and and could well have done so. So, um, yeah, I think Barrow Barrow Bradford is is kind of circled in my um, my mind fixture list as being one where we're going to find out a lot about Barrow because I still think they could be a surprise package this season. Port Vale two, Rochdale three was. Probably the game of the weekend in League Two, I would say, and the bee's knees. Yeah, really. Well, it was a a roller coaster because Vale could have been. I'm not going to exaggerate like managers do. They could have been two nil up after 15 minutes rather than one nil up after 15 minutes as they were. Conlon pulling the strings. Rochdale couldn't get near him. Nathan Smith, you know, talk about overlapping centre backs with Ross Sykes. Nathan Smith got an assist. Uh, also overlapping or bombing on, whatever you want to call it, from that right centre-back position. Uh, he's always been someone who's been talked about as potentially playing at a higher level, and adding that sort of thing to his game is certainly not going to hurt him on that front. And they should have been clear after 20 minutes, and then Rochdale just turned it on. The quality of the goals that they scored was brilliant. Um, O'Keefe's cross to Beasley for the first was excellent, and then just a beautiful team goal for the second. They played six really good passes through the thirds, Great rotations, you know, attacking players dropping in, midfield players um, bombing on, fullbacks bombing on. It, it was brilliant to watch. And then an amazing cross from Kierhan onto the head of Beasley. Um, it was the day of target men strikers in League Two. Proctor scored two in this game, uh, and he's a big lad. Beasley, brilliant in the air, um, scoring two headers. And Harry Smith, of course, for Leighton Orient, starring at Rodney Parade in their two-all draw with, with Newport. Um, and it's great to watch this 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 whole game, but particularly Rochdale catching my eye with some of their attacking play. It's great to see. Uh, and Conlon, for, from a Port Vale perspective, he still looks like a cut above, maybe becoming 
one more cut above at this level. Um, he made their second goal with a, a really good bit of mobility to win the ball high up the pitch, uh, nicked it off the defender who made a poor touch and then drew two men where almost every other League 2 number 10 in the in the world would have shot. Conlon played a clever reverse pass to Proctor <laughs> for his second goal. Four in two for Proctor. Um, but there, there was Dale winning it with another brilliant goal. Cashman on loan from, I, th- I was going to say Brighton, but I think he signed for Coventry and then went straight on loan. Uh, he played a brilliant ball over the top for O'Keefe, who's a right wing back, but is getting so high up the pitch and impacting games in the final third. So entertaining game and a cracking win for Rochdale. And they'll be feeling so positive. You know, they warded off this hostile takeover bid, as far as we know, that is now dead in the water. And, uh, you know, after a disappointing relegation last season, they've got plenty to enjoy under Robbie Stockdale um, and this very kind of impressive attacking side. Um, good stuff. Carlisle 2, Salford 1. George, uh, in general play, Salford were the better side here, but Carlisle, who last season created the most goal-scoring opportunities and most shots, the highest XG from set-piece situations, scored two goals, both of which from balls into the box, which Salford defended the first ball. But everyone knows now, set-piece defending isn't just about winning the first header. It's about... <laughs> I remember Michael Duff, I think, was the first person I'd heard use the phrase, you've got to box off the box. You know, you can't just organise your defence to win the first ball and to mark the, the the attacking players for the first ball. But actually, you have to work out where, where's the ball likely to land when we win it. How hard is it from, from an in-swinging delivery, for example, or from a long throw? How likely is it we're going to get a header away that goes further than 20 yards out, that just outside the box? And who's going to be there when that happens? That's where Salford failed. And it just adds to this frustration that Salford have lots of good players, as they have done for three seasons in a row. Something's missing still. Their, their XG numbers are great uh, from an attacking point of view. So their finishing has been poor. And then there's just stuff like this where you just think, why aren't you? Why can't you be a, a dependable winning football team? They mm. weren't this weekend. And, and if you go to Brunton Park and you don't defend set pieces, you're going to lose. And that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that simple. I, I agree. Um, and this is a big win for Carlisle, who... Uh, I know they started so quickly last season that it feels like they needed something, a win like this against a team who expected to be up there to really go again. And for Salford, it's so disappointing because, you know, I think after their poor start, um, that win against Newport, a resounding 3-0 win against the playoff side from last season, felt like it might be the start of something. But as you say here, they've they've caused their own problems with uh, failure to... To clear from uh, to clear the danger from from set pieces with the second ball. I mean, it's a brilliant finish from Dickinson for the for the first. Um, you know, Mellish's couldn't really have been more simple. Um, I don't think we're seeing the same performances from Carlisle as, as we got to to know last year. Um, Salford had probably more control of the ball than than um, Chris Beach would have liked. We know how he likes to play and we know how, how aggressive he likes to be. But again, you know, I think here it's back to Salford and it's back to a side who were favourites to win the league again, as they were last season, who invested in the squad again uh, and who have a manager in Gary Bowyer who, you know, we, we thought that Newport result probably um, bored him a bit of time. But I, I still think if you're looking at, at if we were if we were playing a championship manager but from back in the day and you looked at job security, I think um, is uh, he's flitting somewhere between insecure and very insecure at the moment, Gary Bowie. You have to think because of the, the history of that club. I had um, high hopes for... Um, sorry, I thought you were finished. <laughs> I know I am. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I'm I finished. had high hopes, George, for Carlisle uh, this season after last campaign where I thought they were one of the better teams in the division for 80% of it and I felt like the 20% that they weren't could almost be explained away by, by bad luck and, and COVID and schedule and whatnot. Um, but... I was looking a bit deeper into it this morning. They're not hitting those same levels, not even nearly at the moment, which is a shame. I think personnel plays a big part. Coyote was hugely underrated, not by their fans, but but maybe underrated League Two player last season. Aaron Hayden, of course, who left for them to join Wrexham, important defender for them. Reese Bennett had, had been excellent, and then he didn't stay either. They did sign Callum Guy up to another new contract on Saturday, which is great news. I think their midfield three is probably their strength at the moment. Mellish has this weird goal-scoring knack and got on the score sheet. Um, Guy is a, is a great all-rounder as well, but up front they're not clicking yet. There's a lot of new. There's a lot of new players. They're playing a really direct style. If you look at the optometrics for direct speed and you know the amount of times a team 
plays a, an attack with more than 10 passes in it. I think they've done it twice this season. Swindon have done it 45 times. So they're, they're taking a very direct approach. It's not really translating into creating a lot of chances at the moment. So maybe they've lost a bit of that relentlessness, a bit of that threat from open play. Um, but they've got lots of new attacking players who hopefully can find the time to jail. Zach Clough, uh, obviously Tristan Abrahams, Mampala, who's on the bench, the new lad Gibson played, who they signed recently from um, Ireland. You know, I'm hopeful there's more to come uh, and getting Callum Guy signed down was good, but I've been a little underwhelmed, I'd say, about uh, Carlisle's early performances. Northampton 2, Scunthorpe 0. George, which are the worst games to form opinions on? Games where one team goes down to 10 men after 20 minutes. Correct. Anything Thank else you. to add? <laughs> Well done, Danny Rose, for scoring. It must be absolute hell to be a striker and not score for 30 games. So I, on a personal level, I'm delighted for him. Follows us on Twitter as well. Always great, one of my favourites. Oh, I, I didn't know that. So I hope he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also it was Northampton's first goal from open play this season. The question remains, can they score a goal from open play against 11 men? Uh, TBC, probably at some point. Um, Rose's goal was created a brilliant cross from Hoskins you have to say who you know that that was the bit of quality they needed but yeah yeah it's 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 tough this is another team who if you look at the Opta numbers playing uber direct stuff with very little reward for it or very little attacking efficiency if you will from open play Um, so you know a bit of a free win this because of Honoriasse's early red card I mean the, the one, the funny thing about this is, is that I, you know, I'm with you. I, I haven't been impressed with Cobblers at all so far this season. Yeah, we've we've just, you know, playing devil's advocate here and probably talking for a lot of Cobblers fans listening. We have just crowed and praised Harrogate to no end. Harrogate and Cobblers have played the same amount of games, and Northampton only have three points less than them. You know, they've they've played five, one, three, drawn one, lost one. But we don't. Do, we're not looking too much at the league. No, table, I know. But, no, but you have to. But you have to. You know, you have to caveat any conversation about. Northampton being poor by saying, well, they picked up 10 points from five games. They're, they're going at a rate of two points per game. It's not like they, um, you know, it's not like this was an, an anomalous result. Um, they have started the season well. Do I think that if they carry on playing the way they are, they'll carry on picking up two points a game? No. Um, but we've seen players coming in, you know, of course, Atete um, started up front, Flores and centre midfield. You know, these are players who should improve for game time. So um, picking up points early on in the season, not playing well, um, you know, you'd prefer to be putting in the performances too, like Harrogate are, but certainly there looks to be reason why they would improve. Although I do agree that the, the style of football itself isn't what we, <laughs> certainly isn't what John Brady was promising before the season started. And um, yeah, this was a bit of a freebie picking up um, three points against a 10-man Scunthorpe who already looked pretty poor at times this season. He hooked you in with, the, with those emotional interviews at the back end of last season. You're in that. I still absolutely love to go for a pint with him. Yeah. Um, You're a sucker for emotion. To be honest. Yeah, I just want to say Scunthorpe, despite having lost this game, they've been better than I thought they would be this season. Um, I think someone shared basically every every person on Twitter's League Two one to twenty four prediction. I don't think anyone I saw had Scunthorpe higher than twenty second. It was a a universal um, negativity about their chances, and they haven't picked up very many points to be honest with you. But they've definitely been playing better than I expected. I would probably characterise them as hard to beat which, of course, as we know, is a massive euphemism for good at defending and really bad at attacking. Uh, And that is what I'm worried about holding them back. It's just personnel-wise, I'm not seeing it in terms of creativity or in terms of those to finish off the chances. But I I would say that I've been more impressed than I thought about how they've started the season in terms of performances. But, of course, the results need to come as well. Two 1-0 wins, George. Tramir 1, Hartlepool 0. Bristol Rovers 1, Crawley 0. I think it's fair to say, and we've heard from some Tramia fans, that from the majority of their game against Hartlepool, Pools look the more likely to win and the better side for probably 70 minutes. Bristol Rovers beat Crawley 1-0. Crawley looked the better side for probably 89 mm. minutes. Just the <coughs> one minute where Leon Clark came off the bench at half-time and scored within a minute of his debut. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one, really. Two teams that picked up three points um, in, in fairly unimpressive manner. Tramier's record at the moment is is absolutely astonishing. They're they're more, they're more of a ballet club than a football club. There's just two twos everywhere. They've <laughs> they've won two, they've drawn two, they've lost oh two, they've scored two, they've conceded two. Like, what are we to make of Tranmere right now? I just can't believe you said that. Um, that's amazing. When did you think of it at Quest? I reckon, and then you've you've held on to it for two days to, no. to go in for today. No, just throw it um, off the top of the dome, mate. I don't. I don't know what to make of them at all. Um, you know, I, I feel 
for those who don't listen to the betting show, um, or for those that do, will know that I I tipped up five bets, four winners, and the only loser was Hartlepool to beat Tranmere, and I, I felt a bit hard done by. I was following the game uh, from from the wedding, and I knew I'd looked at the stats, and I knew that Hartlepool were on top. Was when I got that notification, I was getting ready to cheer, and then saw that it was um, Tom Davis who'd, who'd steered home for Tranmere, a pretty scrappy goal. Um, you know, for Tranmere, it's there's nothing in this game except for the three points to to allay any worries about the poor start to the season. They still look to me to be a side who are who are really struggling. Um, but if, with Hartlepool, if you just look at their team on paper, really lacking dynamism. They've got like experienced yeah. players, good players, but do you need a bit more of a spark? Like it all, it's very sort of straight lines. Not a huge amount of mobility. Not a huge amount of like on ball skill. And I'm worried that. You know, there's there's a way of looking at this, which is it's great to start the season looking as solid as they are defensively. Conceding two in six games is magnificent defensive record. And I guess if you're an optimistic fan, you can talk yourself into, well, we've got a whole new team, whole new attackers. We lost our three top scorers from last season. Definitely. So give it a bit of time. We'll whole click manager. Yeah, yeah, and we'll course, win every game 2-0. And that, that's probably the best way. If, if you're making a poor start to the season, you probably want it to be built upon decent defensive numbers, which they've got. So... Yeah, I mean, of course, and, and a win like this can do a lot for a team in terms of, of just a bit of belief and a bit of you know a bit of cheer with your home fans and having that winning feeling back. I do think there is a a an untangible benefit to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hartlepool turned up. I said on the betting show I thought Hartlepool were the better team, and I didn't see a great deal on Saturday to, to suggest that they aren't, even though they came away with with, with zero points. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, I'm sure Tramir are going to improve. It, it's a big transition um and off the back of a one nil defeat against Gunthorpe this was really important that they did that tricky game coming up there on Saturday going to Rochdale who are a team who as we've just said earlier on um looked to be fairly impressive under their new manager we had so many new members join the NTT 20 squad this week we did a, a specific exclusive to the squad uh hour and a half long breakdown of of deadline day which is still available to listen back if you wanted to sign up using the the two-week free trial um and give that a listen one of the people that joined was Carl Carl on Carpenter who, who works for Statsbomb um such a strong addition to the squad um because he has some unbelievable expertise and and he actually asked about Hartlepool they've caught his eye because he writes that they they boast the best xg numbers against so the best defensive numbers in terms of xg but firmly mid-table in terms of, of chance creation now he his question is what do they need to change to become more of a threat going forward to keep their positive start back in the efl going i just want to flag that up as I, i'm so impressed it's it's such a mm. good reflection on dave challoner that this team who we thought might be in a bit of a state of flux after losing some key men not just those strikers but a couple of defenders as well for them to be this solid out of possession, to be restricting opposition chances to this extent at a higher level is brilliant. I'm not that confident that going forward they'll be able to improve to the point of being one of the better teams in the division, um, which is a shame. Most of their goals so far this season that we've commented on, George, have been Tyler Bury looking too good, Gavin Hollihan scoring two really nice goals, sort of um, you know low probability goals that he's finished really well. Bury picked up a hamstring injury on the weekend, which is terrible news for them. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I'm ready to say that Jamie Sterry, they're right back. I, I actually think he's one of the best players in the league, despite the fact that they've only just got promoted and he's probably only played five or six games now of League Two football. He looks absolutely brilliant um, from right yeah. back. So they need more creativity from the centre of the park or someone other than Sterry to set up chances. They probably need um, a more reliable striker as well, rather than just having a bit of Bury magic or a, a bit of Hollihan arriving late from the edge of the box. But so impressed with those defensive numbers. And I think it reflects incredibly well on new manager in the EFL, Dave Challoner, who probably, based on this performance so far, we'll be seeing a lot more of over the over the, over the the next years. Um, so there you go. Um, lastly, Rovers won Crawley nil. I, I just cannot tell you enough, even having picked Bristol Rovers to win on the betting show, how underwhelmed I was by their performance impressed by Crawley's performance we know that John Yems's Crawley side love to play the so-called bigger teams in the division and they definitely did enough to ruin Rovers' day it was just one free header wasn't it from Leon Clark which he put back across the keeper into the corner but Crawley Tom Nichols played for Bristol Rovers didn't he for a few years such a talented attacking player but he's obviously got some curse at, at the mem because he missed a great early chance and um, Crawley losing that game 1-0 Bristol Rovers need to improve a lot like a lot here and maybe they can I don't know but 
so un unimpressed with the way that they are playing. Put aside the results, just the way that they are playing is not impressing me at all. And I just find it funny that Joey Barton, he signed a, basically a whole team quite early on in the window, players that their fans were quite excited about, that we were like, I think your point was, why are you signing all these guys so early on in the window when they're not mm. really guys that are highly sought after? And then a poor start to the season, and he gets sanctioned four more free agents around deadline day. Leon Clark, Anthony Evans, Junior Brown, and then Glenn Whelan signed on Saturday morning as well. It's like, he's he's lucky to have a chairman backing him that much, put it that way. And at some point, he's going to have to make use of the players that he has asked him to buy for him because there's yeah. certainly no excuse that this isn't his team now. Um, and yeah, I mean... <laughs> See how they go. Um, unimpressive. Uh, Newport Orient was a, a cracking draw. Harry Smith, magnificent. And, and Newport youngster Livermore came off the bench. Uh, a new name for us. He looks brilliant. Played great in a couple of cup games this season. One in the Carabao, one in the EFL Trophy. Off the bench for Newport. Um, check him out, Livermore in midfield. Uh, looks like a real, real prospect for them. Harry Smith, the big man for Leighton Orient. Uh, continuing his rich vein of form, as predicted by yourself at the back end of last week on the betting show. Um, and anything else? Stevenage won, Swindon won. Well, this was a very ill-tempered affair in which Jojo Wallacott made some incredible saves. He um, is unbelievably good. <laughs> he's unbelievably good, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Um, in which good at saving footballs. Yeah, in which I think both teams played okay. I think Swindon had the majority of the ball. They look, you know, they are the sort of the tiki taka team in League Two. If you look at their, you know, data in terms of build up play, patient possession, amount of passes they string together, um, but it's not for the sake of it. They, they've got pretty good numbers in terms of chance creation from open play as well. So a lot of positivity around uh, Swindon and how they're playing at the moment. But Stevenage probably, if they'd been a little bit more precise with their finishing, um, could have put this game to bed before Swindon's hotly contested uh, late, late penalty. Little state of play before we go. League 2, top of it. Where are we at? What's the state of the nation in League 2? I mean, it, it's hard to say. Because, as I said, I think Forest Green and Bradford still feel to me like the, the most solid in terms of who I think will be the top two. But Harrogate's start has to be taken massively. Um, it's, it's been so impressive. And, you know, their opposition haven't been particularly necessarily the hardest so far. But I think the way that they're, they're setting about their ability to score goals and create chances is, is so, so good. Um, beyond them, I think Orient looked to be a very good side under Kenny Jacket. Uh, I think Barrow could rise further i think rochdale or another one who could do could could rise up there seems to be a few teams in mid-table i think have made steady enough starts who could really kick on um coming up i think we can probably anticipate swindon to, to regress a little bit even though i'm very positive on them you know the fact they're fourth after the summer they had is, is absolutely incredible and northampton another who i think unless things improve they're probably going to start dropping but um it, it it feels still too early i think to make sweeping judgments the only thing i would say is that yeah I'd be, I'd be amazed if Bradford aren't in the top four or five and, and Forest Green probably too. Now, the relegation battle is interesting to me because three of our bottom four, certainly in our 1-24s, in Rochdale, Swindon and Hartlepool, are way better than that, than our prediction. Scunthorpe might be a bit better than our prediction of them. Now, that's not great news for a lot of other teams who haven't started well, who might be thinking, well, you know, at least there's a couple of, you know, a couple of really rubbish sides. Not necessarily. Oldham are obviously the ones that we're most concerned about at the moment. It's a mixture of performance levels. Uh, Ten goals conceded in six, only four scored. They've lost five out of six games. Uh, and everything that's going on off the field that we discussed earlier, um, completely undermining their ability to, to function as a football club that wins football matches. Outside of them, I don't know who to be worried about, George. You know, Walsall have got five points from six games. Crawley, four points from five, um, but played well at Bristol Rovers. Sutton are obviously on two. They've only played four games and they've, they've you know, they've been unlucky at times as well. Colu, mm. Scunthorpe, Port Vale on six um, from their game. So I, I think probably we're, we're basically sitting on the fence and saying it's too early to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Scunthorpe is still a team that I'm, I'm pretty worried about. I mean, I know that you, you, you don't think they've been as bad as we thought, but um, at times I think they have been pretty poor. They've won one of their six games. Um, I, I still think there's enough evidence uh, about their squad and, and the manager to suggest they're going to be fairly lowly. Maybe you know, maybe they are better than we thought they were going to be, but I think there is a 
there isn't a big well of poor League Two sides, which means that they're going to have to be a lot better um, than they were last season, probably to get away from it. Um, I'm confident that Sutton will will get out of the position they're in at the moment uh, when they play some games. You know, their first win is around the corner. Uh, Crawley, their performance on Saturday showed us that, you know, they are a team who can still turn it on. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty lost at the bottom of League Two. Um, Oldham do seem, I mean, Oldham and Scunthorpe seem to be the two at the moment who I'd be most concerned about. Um, but except for that, you can make cases for most of them. Maybe Colchester with the other team to throw into the, the mix as well. Uh, been have failed to really convince so far this campaign, but only lost one game of their five. So, so basically, what's knows, the state mate? of the nation in League Two? No idea. We're not really sure. The good news is yeah. we're going to be talking about it every week for the next what thirty-five weeks. So you know, no harm done. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. But that's it from us today. Quite nice just to really drill down on League One, League Two this week, George. So thank you for yeah. joining me. I've really enjoyed I'm hoping, it. Hoping a lot of Championship fans have tuned in anyway, who would normally turn off when it gets to the end of the championship and have enjoyed us rattling through League One and League Two I because so. they are they're just great leagues. I love them so much. They're great leagues. They're I great love leagues. You too. Um it's a sunny day. We're both out to play some golf. Um so looking forward yes. to that. I really hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. If you have um, enjoyed the the extra focus on League One and League Two this week, please do give it a share uh, on Twitter, on a forum, whatever it might be. Finding new listeners is is what we're all about. It helps us massively. So give us a hand if you've enjoyed this content. Sponsored by Betfair, we're so grateful for their support. Um, they're allowing us to spend so much time improving the pod, spending time researching for the pod. Hopefully it's coming through with some um, some good early season episodes. So thank you to Betfair. And a massive thanks to all of you on the NTT20 squad growing by the day uh, for helping set the agenda for this episode with all those excellent questions which have helped us discuss the key topics in League One, League Two. It's been great having all the new members of the squad. Um, thank you so much. If you're interested in joining, checking it out. Um, you know, it is a subscription, monthly subscription service. We think that there's lots of value to be had um, for joining. And there's also a two-week free trial if you just wanted to check it out and see what it's all about. It's tough to explain sometimes over a pod, but we know that the majority of people who have joined the squad are having a brilliant time and, and we're loving it as well. So thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have a good week. We'll be back again in the second half of it to preview the weekend.